It is indeed a pleasure to have this privilege to play here for you. And we, we intend to give you a very fine program, so just settle back, relax, and enjoy the moment. 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 Hey, what's going on? Welcome back to Miked Up. This is an unapologetic, low country-based podcast hosted by yours truly, Mika Gadsden. This episode, um, I wanted to share a collaboration that I was a part of this past summer. Um, actually, you want to go back about a year. Uh, I teamed up with PolicyLink, which is a think tank um, and a policy organization based out in California. Uh, PolicyLink tapped me to help uh, bring their Water Equity podcast series to life. And I was honored and privileged to be a part of this, this project. So there are about four episodes currently available um, at the policylink.org website. But what I wanted to do is preview the first episode here on my platform, specifically because it features voices and people right here that are from right here in the low country. And so I think it's an interesting way for my listeners to get um, to become more familiar with this project that I was a part of. But also you can hear um, the influences and the issues lifted up by folks who who love the low country, right? So you'll hear from Jennifer Singleton. Uh, Jennifer is a local artisan here in the low country, a basket weaver, sweet grass basket weaver, and so on. Um, and you'll also hear from my friend Brian Walter. Uh, so um, I really hope you enjoy this episode uh, from the Water Equity Podcast series. I'm going to link where you can find the three remaining episodes in the entire series and the synopsis, that'll all be in the show notes, okay? So please enjoy this episode. I hope you do. Uh, Until next time, y'all, please stay happy and healthy. All my Gullah Geechee people, I need y'all to stay strong, stay black, all right? Check out this podcast episode. Welcome to the Water Equity Podcast, produced in partnership with the Water Equity and Climate Resilience Caucus. I'm your host, Mika Gadsden. And this, this is an environmental justice podcast series. And in this space, I'll be exploring the ways in which water inequities threaten the health, opportunities, mobility, and cultural identity of marginalized communities. Each conversation will amplify important messages from Black, Indigenous, and people of color and center their perspectives from the front lines. I'll also be inviting a range of artists onto the show to gain their perspectives into how art, be it musical, visual, or literary, can be used to elevate these issues, helping to demand water equity and justice. And there's one artist in particular who you'll be hearing from in each episode, and that is Benny Starr. Benny's powerful A Water album serves as this podcast series' central theme and foundation. Each episode will begin with an intimate conversation between Benny, myself, and three amazing college students, Khalid Birch, Celeste Green, and Brianna Sharper. The conversation takes place in Charleston, South Carolina, at the wonderful Royal American. But before we hop into episode one, I wanted to invite Axel Santana from PolicyLink to share more information about this podcast and the Water Equity and Climate Resilience Caucus. Take it away, Axel. Thanks, Mika. So the Water Equity and Climate Resilience Caucus is a national network of almost 100 organizations co-chaired by PolicyLink and the Gulf Coast Center for Law and Policy. 
We work on a variety of different issues related to water and climate, and we engage in federal policy, communications activities, and solidarity actions. Some of the things we prioritize in our work include safe and affordable drinking water, workforce opportunities and economic development, sea level rise, drought, disaster recovery, and climate resilience. We've been around as a network for almost three years now, and we are only growing and strengthening our impact. Most recently, we successfully advocated for environmental justice provisions to be included in the Economic Justice Act that was introduced by Senator Schumer's office. We also successfully advocated for a provision in the latest omnibus bill that provides $638 million in emergency spending to assist low-income households with water and wastewater bills. As a part of our work at PolicyLink, we understand the importance of arts and culture strategies uh, and to advance equity, which is why we're so excited to be working with you, Mika, and Benny Starr, and Nana Fofia of the Wind and Warrior Collective on this initiative, which includes this podcast and other activities that we'll be sharing more about at a later time. So if you're interested in joining or learning more about our work, visit PolicyLink.org. Thanks, Axel. Okay, without further ado, Episode 1. Location, the South Carolina Low Country. Title, Rising Water, Development, and Dispossession. When the water keeps rising, yeah. Tell me how you gonna survive it. What you gonna do when the water keeps rising? Yeah, how you finna colonize it? What you gonna do when the rain brings heaven down to the hell that you raised up all around us? What you finna do when the water keeps rising? You realizing that the water won't drown us. What they finna do? Yeah. I wonder to myself, tell me what they finna do. Yeah, yeah, I wanna know right now. Tell me what you finna do. Yeah, yeah, I don't know about you. Tell me what you finna do. Yeah, tell me right now what you finna do when the water keep rising. I think when I listen to that song, when I listen to The Water Keeps Rising, it gets me amped up because it's probably literally the first time in contemporary times where I heard uh, a black south carolina native young artist someone occupying space in uh in uh, hip-hop actually indict systems and draw a very specific picture about what life is like for black people living in charleston i really wanted to to kind of pick your brain Vinny, about what you were thinking about when you came up with that song and what did you hope to relate to people like me people who got excited to hear it either live or or uh, later on the album, like what, what did you want to communicate on that album? On that specific song, The Water Keeps Rising, I just remember living in Charleston and moving around Charleston and what it felt like, what I would see all the time. Um, the continuous new construction of hotels and buildings and constant flooding, um, ignoring the warnings and, and the signs of climate change, um, rampant homelessness, and just people being really cavalier with how wrong it all felt. And as a black person, how it felt, you know, and I, while not wanting to center white folks mm -hmm. because we all can fall into that trap sometime and I fell into it lots mm -hmm. of time. I wanted to find a sweet spot where 
I could attempt to indict those systems, as, as you said, while also, you know, affirming black people to let them know, like, like the water, we will keep rising. Um, because the water is indeed rising. And, and, and I just remember what it, what it would feel like walking downtown um, and just watching people ignore homelessness on the streets, watching hotels and new businesses and these things pop up despite you know the vast inequities that 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 I would always see everywhere what it felt like to be black moving downtown and not seeing a lot of black folk uh, not seeing a lot of businesses or things that cared about what I cared about or that seemed to cater to me or make me feel welcome or invited in and you know the power structure in Charleston that continued to allow that to happen or, or more so encouraged it to happen um, I wanted to make sure I said something directly that people could feel. You know, I had that bop. You sounded angry. I was angry. How y'all? How how did it hit y'all? Cause I felt ang I felt the anger. Yeah, I kept noticing like um, <clears throat> just the juxtaposed images of black pain and suffering mm -hmm. in the midst of white joy and prosperity. So when you said you would give, you gave um, twenty dollars. Um, to a woman when she's literally in front of you know a hotel, absolutely, a twenty million dollar hotel, right? Yeah, more. Exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. You know what I think too? Like it's been how many years since you recorded this? Two years. Two years, and like how how much the city has changed? Like, like almost feel like the song is even like it was it was painting a picture of what we were going through, but then it was also tipping its hand to the future. We see the rapid change in that white girl with pearls is at home. Like I've seen that that population grow and yet and yet black folk um, weren't in there. But uh nah, do y'all do y'all ever think about like where the city is headed and like if if, if there's hope or do you feel <laughs> I try not to be overly cynical right uh when considering sort of the prospects. Um yeah. Yeah. It's difficult because we're going against two very separate forces, one being climate change, the other being like white supremacy. And, and one of them we can combat pretty directly. The other, it's a bit harder to control. Um, so I have hope in some senses and then with others, I mean, in regards to the climate, I just I don't know if we'll ever be able Listening to back that to that portion of our conversation, I can hear the anguish and the despair in Celeste's voice and in her comments. Uh, the changes that we've all been a party to are staggering. And quite honestly, it's overwhelming. Um, but for this next segment, I wanted to feature a very special interview. Um, I invited Gullah Geechee native and sweetgrass basket artist, Jennifer Singleton, to share her thoughts on the ever-changing low country and how the current conditions have impacted her art as well as her everyday way of life. Take a listen. Hey, my name is Jennifer Singleton. I am a fifth-generation basket weaver. I learned this uh, craft 31 years ago. I make baskets, I teach baskets, and um, I enjoy the craft. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer. I, I really wanted to, to sit down and speak with someone 
with your background, someone who's been exposed to this type of artistry um, as someone who is who was raised by a Gullah Geechee native. It's, it's deeply important to me to speak to people who who are still continuing on this culture. And um, the specific reason why I wanted to talk to you was I wanted to have you share with those who are listening, share more about the art of making sweet grass baskets specifically, something that's so specific to the low country and to Gullah Geechee culture. Can you tell the listeners how you got into making sweet grass baskets? Well, when I was about seven years old, I was always a tomboy, and my aunt was weaving baskets while I was at her house, and she said, come on in here, let me teach you how to do this thing. And I looked at it kind of strangely, and then I, I, I kind of obliged to it. I was like, okay, I'll learn. And I started weaving a basket, and let me tell you something, your first basket never looked like your last basket, because they looked like bird nests at first. <laughs> and uh, through the years, as I kept practicing, I started progressing, and it got better and better and better. So, so this day, from seven years old until I'm almost 38, I'll be 38 in a couple of months. I've been doing it for 31 years now. And I learned this craft from my aunt, which is um, my mom's oldest sister. We grew up Gullah Geechee the whole way, talking, cooking, eating, everything was Gullah Geechee. So what area of the low country um, do you feel comfortable disclosing where you live? Like what county or what area? Well, I live in Higi, okay, which is um, still very rural very country and we ain't want nobody else out there to bring that into us we ain't want <laughs> you sound like my kinfolk that's amazing <laughs> no but 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 I think you know there's a lot about like uh classic Gullah Geechee life that is insulated and protected like that's kind of a you know when you go down to Buford Hilton Head there's so many so, yes. yeah so the many St. Helena's Yep, the Fusky St. Helena. Wamala, where my daddy from? <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, you know, one thing I can say about Wadmalaw, because I still my family is out there, my parents live there, we have land there. Um, there's been so many changes in places like that, the Fusky, St. Helena. Like, what is your experience creating these baskets right now and holding on to the culture? What's your experience like? Well, um, it's still very effective to have sweet grass basket and sell sweet grass basket. It's still a great uh, gift to give to other people. The only problem that we do have is getting the softer grass to use in our baskets because uh, developmental issues wherein they're tearing up the subdivisions or anything that was in the subdivision and knocking them down to bare dirt. We have people that have the grass, but they don't want you to get the grass because it's on their private property. And then we have all all of this other radical things that are going on in the world today that Mm. we all know about. Yeah. I I wanted to ask you in closing, like, are you, are you worried about the future of basket making or any type of Gullah Geechee art that relies on natural resources like sweetgrass, like palms? Like, are you worried about the future? Um, I'm worried about the future of our children. I'm worried about the future of our children because our children have, um, they, they weren't raised like us from the 80s and the 70s and the, and the 90s. They weren't raised like us. I mean, once the 90s came, the kids got technology. And once technology came, it took over. Now that the kids have so much technology now, it's like handmade things doesn't make any sense to them. It's just like me trying to teach my boys, look, your mommy makes quilts. Come, come, come learn how to put these patterns together. So if one day you get cold, you at least know how to warm yourself up. 
or how make this basket. And then one day you don't have a job and you need to make a couple of dollars. You know how to make this basket so you can make a couple of dollars. If, if one day you need to learn how to survive off of what we have right now, how about you come raise these chickens and these rabbits and come plant this garden so you would have sufficient income, sufficient food, and sufficient things that you don't have to depend on nobody else. The technology has taken over so badly so the kids don't even read like they used to anymore. They're just talking to the computer or their, 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 their laptop or their, their, uh, their tablet or their cell phone. So technology has messed us up really badly. I mean, I love technology because we own it right now. <laughs> but, at, but at some point, I would like to sit down and I would like to feel some fibers in between my fingers, whether it's textile or is fabric. I want to feel everything. I want to look at it. I want to see how this works with what this works with. I want to get into my kitchen and open my pots and I want to put some food in there that nobody had to put on the internet a recipe for me to cook. It's something my ancestors left for me. The Gullah Geechee food, the Gullah Geechee uh, baskets, the Gullah Geechee quilting. Gullah Geechee craft in its own is dying because of technology. Man, Jennifer is such a force of nature. Her reflections are honest, and, and for me, they inspire action. Um, let's rejoin the conversation with Benny, Celeste, Brianna, Khalid, and myself over at the Royal American. Hear how, not unlike Jennifer, Benny speaks to the way he uses his artistry to create an impact and to promote culture. The thing that I thought of was, um, obviously we can slow gentrification if we really try. So um, it's like, obviously we can't just tear down what was already built because that would be counterproductive. But um, so like what initiatives do you think we need to do to like shift the gears, um, especially in a society that's like slowly eradicating like black people and blackness like what do you think um besides like music and art like are there any like solid um like initiatives to actually like get within like the technicalities of reversing this um now while i'm not a subject matter expert on this and like you said we can't tear down a lot of the things that have been built up but i think um going forward with like a lot of intention if, if we know what happens like we know how many people are moving into a, a city like Charleston um, daily right and we know the problems that that creates um, with housing with transportation um, food deserts um, access to care and all of these things but yet we're prioritizing or we have leadership that's prioritizing big business to say we're going to just continue to promote this as a tourist attraction and what we're actually selling to the outside world to come in and tour. So we're building hotels, we're building all these extravagant things and we already have all of the data. It's not like we have to mine, we're constantly gathering data, right? But it's not like we have to mine for the critical data that we do need. We already have that in so many ways, specifically with Charleston and the greater Charleston area. But let me, if I may interject. Mm -hmm. Benny, um, you know, like you said, you, you have so much like uh, anecdotal data, right? Like mm -hmm. we can use our observation skills, but talk about like how you literally leveraged 
like your voice to, like like so there have been ways that you advocated um you're on you know you're, you're you, you you've been doing a lot of things i don't want to speak for you but you've been doing a lot of things you've been using your voice creative ways uh, tell tell us more about those experiences of how like a water album has opened the doors for you to advocate for for water climate climate justice you're right yes uh some of those things that I didn't, I couldn't see happening, but they did happen. So you create this body of work mm -hmm. that speaks on these these issues and, and the feelings surrounding the issue, the experiences. And then I go from that to uh, connecting and, and partnering with, with PolicyLink, a think tank organization based out of Oakland, South Carolina, the Bay, I mean, Oakland, uh, California, the Bay Area, California. And they do lots of Ish, uh, work around water issues in the water sector, climate issues, climate resiliency, and build it, being able to partner with them to build out their arts and culture sector using the power of art to leverage uh, leverage that power and influence that we do have. Um, to like she like you mentioned earlier, it's complicated to battle climate change, um, but we can use the things at our disposal, like the power of art, that influence, that engagement. Um, you think you're making an impact? I do, and and one of the things that I, I believe that I'm making an impact uh, on is it isn't always just about the art that we create. Like we're looking at the album, we're listening to the album, that's the end result, depending on how you look at it, right? That's the artistic offering. But so much that I've been learning and actively engaging with different members of staff within PolicyLink, also with US Water Alliance, which I became their inaugural artist in residence, is the process. What is the process that gets us there? How do we take that artistic process? The things that move us more towards justice and empathy, uh, even relationships as, as infrastructure. You know, how do we leverage our privilege? How do we acknowledge it? Who is in the room? Who is not in the room? Why are they not in the room? should they be in the room and why they need to be in the room and different things like that, then you take that artistic process and apply it to the processes that these organizations have and you try to kind of blow it up and make a dramatic shift so that the different policies and approaches and concepts that come out of there that end up influencing us politically, culturally, that can take a dramatic shift and we can increase engagement. Th that is one of the things that I've learned. So in that way, I do think I'm having an impact from an artistic standpoint. Creating, adding, and promoting culture is all very powerful. I have no doubt that Benny's art is making a positive impact. For this next portion, I wanted to introduce my friend and scholar, Brian Walter, to the podcast. Brian is an anthropologist who has spent a significant amount of time here in the Low Country. He's studying sea level rise, among many other things. During my interview with Brian, he shares with me his thoughts on the why. Why it is that we're seeing these changes in the first place? And why is it that it's the folks living on the margins that seem to bear the brunt? Take a listen. I am an environmental anthropologist. So I look at the intersections between culture and the environment, and I specifically work in the South Carolina Low Country. And in answer, or starting an answer to that question, I would think about the impact of climate change and specifically sea level rise 
uh, within the context of history. I think you really need history uh, to understand this. Climate change and sea level rise, they often get painted as things that sort of just happened out of nowhere and affect everyone equally. And neither of those things are the, are the case. So, you know, I think already for starters, before we can think about how climate change impacts Black and Gullah communities, um, we also have, we have to think about the causes of climate change. And that's like very important to me is understanding climate change is this thing that is not just caught up to us now, but that is the result of this, of the burning of fossil fuels, primarily um, by white European powers that are now the effects are being experienced uh, by everyone. So that's a historical process itself. But when thinking about communities in the low country, it's important for thinking about how Black and Gullah communities got located in the spaces where, they, where they're located. A lot of the communities that I work with are in low-lying spaces around in the Charleston area. And those are often because those were either purchased, in my case, the place I look at, they were spaces that were only available for purchase after and during reconstruction. So Black communities were uh, relegated to some of those spaces. In, in other cases, this has to do with where public housing uh, was located, which was often on top of areas that were already Black communities that were located in low-lying spaces and now have become public housing units that deal with the same flooding issues that those communities felt with, dealt with. That's the... Uh, history piece of why climate change and sea level rise affects communities uh, differently. The other piece that I think is incredibly important is also in the, in the low country, how history gets turned into heritage and how some communities, particularly white communities, have really benefited from this form of heritage that can become monetized and preserved. And Black and Gullah communities largely have not benefited from that change at all. It's Charleston's the city where history lives, so you can't not talk about history uh, when, when thinking about this. Um, I think you offered such important perspective, and I, I think some folks don't always take into consideration, you know, the, the whole picture. And, and it's because it's not always presented to them. It's not always accessible. I, I, I wanted to ask you, this week you forwarded me some very mm -hmm. important research or information you stumbled across because I wanted to focus specifically on um, a, a type of artistry here mm -hmm. uh, that's inherently mm -hmm. Gullah Geechee, which is, uh, you know, work, working with sweetgrass for sweetgrass baskets yes. and other crafts. Um, just just um, as much as you were able to observe, can you talk about that the inaccessibility of this resource and what that may portend for Gullah Geechee communities yeah, and culture? Yeah, so there are some really important dynamics that are involved that are involved in it. And and I do think is related is that the other thing that makes it hard to gather sweetgrass these days is how much of it now lies behind gated communities. Um, and that also challenges uh, the ability for Gullah communities to to gather sweetgrass. So we're seeing here overdevelopment, uh, which is related to climate change and flooding and how that is uh, limiting access to sweetgrass specifically through a fence. 
uh, climate change doesn't just, you know, I think it's all oftentimes served to us as being something that white yes. folk have to contend with or white populations are more preoccupied with. But um, even if folks don't have the word power, I know that they probably have been feeling the, you know, I guess the, the pressures that come along with climate change. And um, yeah, didn't didn't know that that was an issue <laughs> until I met you. So. Well, let me, let me, I want to say one thing first, because I really think it's really important what you, what you pointed out that climate change is something that is thought to like happen to white communities. Um, and I think it's also, there's like a, a pernicious stereotype that like, that black communities don't see, understand or experience climate change and sea level rise. And that like across the board uh, in my work, that's been, you know, a, a myth that has been totally uh, destroyed. Um, so any anyone listening to this should leave knowing that that's absolutely a false narrative. Uh, Thank you for saying yeah. it. Thank you for saying it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so in my work, I am a PhD student um, and I've actually just finished my field research. Um, I do work in environmental anthropology, looking specifically at sea level rise in the, in the low country. Um, and in that work, you know, anthropology is this really exciting, messy field. Um, I spent a lot of time talking, observing, and spending time with people across communities, um, for lack of a better explanation, just to try to be able to figure out and describe some aspects of what's going on. I really do appreciate the work you do. Yeah. Um, I appreciate, uh, you know, the lens through which you view the work. And um, I look forward to your scholarship, but I, I look forward to to meeting up with you soon in the future as well. Yeah, absolutely. This has been unsurprisingly uh, a total blast. I look forward to chatting again soon. Well, that concludes episode one of our Water Equity Podcast. Remember to check the show notes for additional information. Special thanks to the Royal American, Taylor Hickman and crew, Cyrus Buffum, and a host of others who helped make this podcast possible. Thank you. Special shout out to our students, Khalid, Celeste, and Brianna for joining us for these conversations with Benny and myself. I'm gonna end this episode with the full version of The Water Keeps Rising from Benny Starr. I hope you enjoy it. Until next time, be well. Gave a $20 bill to a woman on the street for a fresh meal in front of a hotel that clipped the ribbon where the black folk used to be now hipsters living. Poor folks under the bridge, yeah, that's the black zone. Black folks still get forced out of their black homes. So whenever I approach the topic or broach the logic, you better believe I'll be talking in a black tone. I'm witness to a city that turned God into capital. Bread and wine ain't really divine in this town. God bless the children who living through all that. So maligned, yet aligned with this sound. See, I'm not a rich white girl in white pearls riding through the hood just to make it to the brewery. This ain't nothing new to me. It's another thing. 
When your life raft is in the path of a hurricane, what you gonna do when the water keeps rising? Tell me what you gonna do when the water keeps rising. Tell me what you gonna do. Yeah. Tell me what you gonna do. Yeah. Tell me what you gonna do. Tell me what you gonna do. Put the black man on the boat. Black woman on the boat too. Spilling blood in the field is real, so everything a nigga sing feels spiritual. Came here in the Lord's name. White man brought the world war. We got a boat full of rebels and we pulling up. Revolution on the shore. Tell me what you gonna do when the water starts rising. Yeah, tell me how you gonna survive it. What you gonna do when the water starts rising? Yeah, how you gonna colonize it? What you gonna do when the rain brings heaven down to the hell that you raised up all around us? What you gonna do when the water keep rising? You realizing that the water don't drown us. What you gonna do? Gave a $20 bill to a woman on the street for a fresh meal In front of the hotel that clipped the ribbon where the black folk used to be Now hipsters living poor folk under the bridge That's a black zone Black folk get forced out of the black home Whenever I approach the topic or approach the logic You better nigga be talking in a black tone I'm a witness to a city that turned God to capital Bread and wine ain't really divine in this town God bless the kids who living through all that Maligned and aligned with this sound I'm not a rich white girl and white pearls Who riding through the hood just to make it to the brewery This ain't nothing new to me This is another thing When your life raft is in the past of a hurricane, what you gonna do when the water keep rising? Yeah, tell me how you gonna survive it. What you gonna do when the water keep rising? Yeah, how you gonna colonize it? What you gonna do when the rain brings heaven down to the hell that you raised up all around us? What you gonna do when the water keeps rising? You realizing that the water don't drown us. What you gonna do? White Charleston, tell me what you gonna do. Rich Charleston, tell me what you finna do. I can't hear y'all. Tell me what you gonna do. I got a message for you. Tell me what you gonna do when the water keeps rising. Yeah, tell me how you gonna survive it. What you gonna do when the water keeps rising? Yeah, how you finna colonize it? What you gonna do when the rain brings heaven down to the hell that you raised up all around us? What you finna do when the water keeps rising? You realizing that the water won't drown us. What they finna do? Yeah, I wonder to myself, tell me what they finna do. Yeah, yeah, I wanna know right now. Tell me what you finna do. Yeah, yeah. I don't know about you, tell me what you finna do, yeah, tell me right now what you finna do when the water keep rising, tell me what you finna do when the water keep rising, yeah, tell me what you gonna do when the water keeps rising, tell me what you finna do when the water keeps rising, how you gonna survive it, tell me how you gonna colonize it, tell me what you gonna do when the water keeps rising, tell me what you gonna do. Tell me what you gonna do when the water keeps rising. What you gonna do? One question for you. I don't know about you. Tell me what you gonna. Tell me what you gonna do. Y'all in trouble. Y'all about to be in trouble. Trouble. Trouble.